Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mortgage Talk with Mark Hairston, the program that not only talks about mortgages, taxes, and interest rates, but Mark and his guests talk real estate trends and your home. He also answers your mortgage questions to help you make the right financing or refinancing decisions. Now, here's Mark Hairston. Happy Saturday, everybody, and welcome to Mortgage Talk. I'm your host, Mark Hairston, where every week we... Um, we talk about the mortgage trends, and we bring in usually special guests to talk about how to increase the value in your home and some other options around how to leverage your real estate. So I've got a very special guest today who I'm going to introduce in just a second. But before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about interest rates. So one of the bigger questions right now is what are rates going to do? And there is a, um, a myth. I want to dispel a myth a lot of people have around rates, and most people think that mortgage rates are a function or uh, controlled by the Federal Reserve, and that's simply not true. The Federal Reserve controls the federal funds rates, which is very important to, to track. But if you really want to know the, the, the trend for mortgage rates, you want to look at two things. Number one, the 10-year Treasury bonds uh, rates usually track that more closely than the federal funds rates, and also what they call the CPI, or the Consumer Price Index. As those things move, you'll, you'll have a, uh, an idea better about what rates are going to be doing in the future. And we do believe long-term rates are coming down. So today I've got a very special guest. I, my, my, his name is Jason Gorman, who is an attorney who specializes in 1031 exchange. Now, if you don't know what that is, stay tuned. Or if you do know what it is, you're going to learn something new. And I heard Jason speak about uh, a month ago, and I said, mm -hmm. I've got to have this guy on my show. So... I want to introduce Jason Gorman, who's an attorney with 1031 Exchange, and tell us about yourself. Hi. Well, thanks, and uh, welcome. For, I'm sorry. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, as you mentioned, I am a, a real estate uh, attorney. I practice here in Austin, Texas. I've uh, been practicing for about eight years, and uh, about four years ago, as a law firm, we decided we wanted to get into the uh, the 1031 qualified intermediary business. So we started a subsidiary company called 1031 Texas, and it allows us to serve as what they call a qualified intermediary or sometimes called an accommodator. And we are the, the middleman in a 1031 exchange. We work with the investor who's going to sell a property and replace it with another investment property. And they want to do this in compliance with the IRS regulations. So they, uh, they have us be their qualified intermediary to facilitate that, hold the funds, and work on both sides of that transaction. Awesome. Awesome. So that's, that's a, a nice little overview because a lot of people don't know what, that, what it was or what, or what it is, a 1031 exchange and how it's usually used in, in, in residential real estate to build uh, you know, wealth long term. So again, tell us a little more about 1031, what kind of properties qualify for 1031 exchange, and exactly you know, a little more about what you do around that. Okay. Yeah, so the 1031 exchange concept always starts with an investor having 
what they call a qualified investment property. So any property that has been held for business or for investment purposes is potentially eligible to be exchanged. Now, the, uh, the one caveat of that is, is that the property that you're going to later purchase also has to be held for business or for investment. So the concept here is really that you're, you're staying in your investment market, so to speak. Got you're it. not trying to cash out. You're not trying to take anything off the table. You're just wanting to switch properties. Got it. I mean, they refer to it as an exchange, uh, and that comes from the, the origins of the law where you used to actually have to directly exchange properties, but now it's more like a 1031 replacement. You sell your property, you replace it with another within a certain time period that's uh, written into this, the law. And if you do that, then when it comes time to file your taxes for the year, you don't have to file it as you normally would, where you would report your gain on the sale and have the, uh, the associated uh, capital gains that go with it. You can report it on a different form that says, I started with this property, I did sell it, but here's the replacement property I ended up with, and here's how those two net out. And if done properly and maximized, you can get zero taxable gain out of it through a deferment concept. Yes. Um, that's, a, that's a key point that this is not, I would not call this a tax exemption at all. I would call it a tax deferment Got it. because that gain that was stored up in the first property that you didn't pay at sale when you normally would is now just moved forward into the replacement property and it's still there. It could be that when you sell the, later sell the replacement property, you pay that gain or you do another 1031 and you string these together to, to build wealth and portfolio over time. Long term, yeah. Yeah, long term plan. So as an example, I have a couple properties in Austin that that, that we rent out, my wife and I rent out, and, and some two of well, they both have significant capital gains or uh, equity positions yeah. or appreciation, I should say. Mm-hmm. And if we wanted to use your services, uh, you're saying that if I sold my property and I had, let's say, $200,000 worth of gain, I could buy another like-kind property or some sort of investment tool and defer that tax or defer the, uh, yeah, defer the tax on that. Correct? Yeah, the, the potential tax on it. So, yes, uh, if you have something that qualifies as uh, held for business or investment, which a typical rental property landlord-tenant scenario would, um, you can sell it, and as long as you buy something that also qualifies and use it in the same way. Now, uh, you mentioned the term like kinds. Uh, that does come up a lot, and it causes a lot of confusion because people think, well, if I have a house, single family house, I have to buy another single family house, or if I have a retail uh, little shopping center, that I have to buy that. That is not the case at all. You have a lot of freedom in what you can buy because. All real estate held for business or investment purposes is like kind to all other real estate held for business or investment. Got it. So that means that you could sell a single family home and buy an industrial warehouse. You could okay. sell an industrial warehouse and buy a multifamily apartment complex. You could buy an office building, retail, all these, these are all marketing terms, you know, to describe yeah. what the property is used for. But the key distinction is to the owner of all of those properties, they are held for business or investment purposes. So as long as that's the same on both properties, it doesn't matter what the nature of the property okay. is. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, a month ago when I heard you speak, I've been in the mortgage space for 37 years, and I've done a lot of loans for people using the 1031 exchange. So I thought I knew a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you taught me was that 
I always thought that you had to roll all your capital gains into mm-hmm. the new property, and you said that's not true. Well, it's not a strict requirement. <clears throat> and the, the confusion there, because the sort of the, the buzz phrases around the industry are, you have to buy something of equal or greater value. Okay. Well, that's a true statement if you want full tax deferment. But it's not true that you always have to get full tax deferment. You can do what we would call a partial exchange, where you do take something out in the form of of cash, um, and you only reinvest a portion of it, or you buy a lower-valued property, therefore Mm. there's something you took out of the deal. It could be cash. It also could be debt reduction, because you could have a scenario where you, you have a property with debt on it, you sell, you the cash goes to the qualified intermediary and gets reused on the next property, but you the debt that you had on the original property compared to the new property is lower. That means that overall you bought something less expensive than you started with, got it. but you did use all your cash, but you got a lower debt. Um, in that scenario, that's a, a concept they call mortgage boot. Boot refers to whatever you take out of the deal. In that case, it's ah, mortgage boot okay. because you have less debt. So it may not seem like you got anything because you didn't put any money in your pocket, but you have less debt than you started with. Therefore, you did get a benefit. And in that case, whenever you have boot, there's going to be partial taxation on that boot. And so, but that's okay. It's still there. You get the benefit to the extent that you did it. It's just not the most benefit you could have gotten. So it's not a strict requirement that uh, that you do that. Well, that's interesting because I never even heard the term boot until you know about a month ago. So I wasn't even familiar with that with that term. But that's and, that's really good to know. And this that's is just really an, important. An industry slang term. It's not in the statute right. or anything. Yeah, I understand. But mathematically, that's what it works out to. You either if you buy something less value, you either got cash or debt relief. There's no other options of what happened okay. there. Okay, got it. Now, a minute ago, you mentioned there are some deadlines or timelines that yes. people have to really be aware of. So that if they sell a property, they have a gain, they want to make sure they do it in the right uh, period of time. Can you explain more about that? Yeah, the uh, the timeline is kind of the key component of the 1031 and probably one of the single biggest hurdles of it. And what the IRS did is the original law actually didn't contemplate a timeline. They said you had to do a direct exchange between parties of land, and then you could file it this way. Uh, That goes way back to the 1920s when the law first started. In the 70s, they came up with a a concept through, you know, creative lawyers were kind of doing these things, and the IRS decided that they were going to bless this and give it sort of a procedural overview and say, okay, if you do it this way, this will be okay. And that's the concept of uh, what they call the deferred exchange or sometimes the starker exchange because that's the the case law that sort of brought it up. Um, But the concept that they blessed was you could sell a property and as long as you purchased your replacement property within 180 days, that that would be okay and uh, go on the, the tax return. Now, within that 180 days, they put another deadline that is uh, kind of interesting, and it's called the identification deadline. Or the, You have 45 days after you sell to identify potential replacement properties. Mm. And that identification is literally writing down a property on a list, signing it, and providing it to your qualified intermediary or potentially some other outside party that can validate that they received it. 
And I get asked a lot about, well, what is the, the purpose of that? Why do I have to identify property? And the, the best answer I can come up with on that is just that the IRS wants you to proceed in this process rather quickly. They're acknowledging that you can't directly exchange properties. You need a little bit of time, but they want you to kind of narrow your scope down in the first 45 days. If you have an exact target property, you, you could buy it the day after you sell. No problem. You okay. don't have to wait 45 days. Got it. But if you're not sure, you're out there looking around, they're trying to kind of get you focused and say, okay, by day 45, you should at least have a list of properties. And if you do, and you write those down and properly identify them, then your exchange can remain open while you try to complete the actual contracts on these. Okay. Because identification and contracts are two different things. The IRS really doesn't look at your contract issues. They just look at whether or not you have identified property and whether you have money available to purchase it. And, okay. if, and if you do, you still have an active exchange till you either purchase all those properties or spend all your money or run out of time. Okay. One of those three things will happen. But to be clear, let's say I sell a property and I have some money to reinvest. In 45 days, I have identified, let's say, three properties. Okay. And, 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 and for whatever reason, we don't go forward. Day 46, I find one. That's not going to qualify, correct? Unfortunately not. That okay. is with this the strict deadline on that. If it wasn't able to be put on that list on day 45, it is not. On day 46, you only have three properties that your exchange funds are eligible to okay. be spent on. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. All right. That's, that's very helpful. It doesn't mean that you can't later buy that property on your own. You just can't do it through the exchange. Sure, sure. So I would assume um, this can be very, I say, tricky. There's a lot to this conversation around 1031. What are some of the common mistakes or pitfalls that you want investors uh, to avoid? That being one of them. Yeah, they, really the, the timelines are probably the things that trip people up the, the most. So if you know you're going to do an exchange, you really need to start looking, even before you sell your property, about where you want to go. And a lot of it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking, say, at single-family rentals or duplexes, something right. that's fairly commonly available, well, you might uh, be able to fairly quickly go out and, and identify a few of these, maybe a particular neighborhood, and, and come up with that. But if you're looking for something more unique, maybe it's, it's business use, like... Uh, don't forget, this works for business property as well. So it's not always just pure landlord-tenant investment property. Okay. So if your business wants to move and you need a specific zoning or a certain type of property, you want to be looking at that in advance so that you can kind of have your, your options narrowed down and ready to put something on your, your list. You can even be in contract to purchase it before you sell. Because okay. like I said, contracts... And timelines are, are two different things. So uh, you got to have a good realtor to understand the implications of going into a contract before you've sold something. Sure. You know, there's, so there's some danger in doing that. If, if the money is coming from one property and you need it for the next one, you need to make sure you don't get caught in a contract issue there. Right. So it's important to have a, a good team with a realtor on that. Um, but that's probably uh, the biggest thing is people... Uh, not being able to really find properties that they want uh, or they end up finding them after the deadline, scenarios like that. Um, and there is, uh, I, I always like to point out, um, that starting an exchange is really not that much of an obligation. It doesn't mean ultimately that you have to buy a replacement property. Okay. So you don't have to be 100% committed. All right. Um, 
But during, so if you, in that 45 days, if you decide ultimately that you haven't found a property that fits your needs and you want to go ahead and just take your, your money back, knowing that you'll pay taxes on it, you, we can end the exchange at day 46 simply by not identifying any property because mm. uh, then there's nothing eligible to be purchased. So sure. the, the exchange comes to an end and sort of a no harm, no foul type of scenario um, other than a relatively minimal upfront fee you paid for the exchange setup. Okay. Um, but that's... Well, how much is that approximately? Um, uh the, the fees generally run twelve to fifteen hundred dollars, okay. and I say that because we break it into two parts. We do the first part of the fee for us is the twelve hundred dollar fee, and then we do a secondary fee of three hundred dollars when you later purchase. Because, as I said, not everyone purchases, so we try right. to right. break it down to the the fees that go with each component of it. Well, very good, very good. Now we're, we've got some more time, but before I do that, I want to uh, people are going to have some questions for you. So tell mm-hmm. us how to contact you in the future, your phone number and email, that sort of thing. Okay, as I mentioned, the company is called Ten Thirty One Texas uh, LLC. We can be found on the web at one zero three one Texas dot com. So ten thirty one, but it's with the numerals and not spelled out. Okay, actually, either domain we own T E N three one T E X A S dot com is also our domain. And then uh, locally, our phone number, 512-270-4757. And, uh, and you guys are here in Austin, correct? We, we are here in Austin, but this business is dealing with federal IRS issues. So we work not only statewide, but nationally. Okay. Um, because this, uh, and that's a good point. What we're talking about is only dealing with the gains that you would file on your IRS federal level. It's not a state tax issue. So if you are in a state that does have uh, state tax that may apply to the sale of your property, that is something that you still need to uh, account for. You're not going to get deferment on that. Okay. You know, here in Texas, we have the uh, the lovely benefit of not really dealing with that, but I always point that out for people right. in other states right. or people they selling still be in other states. state tax on their gains. Yes. And, yeah. and, and that's where actually the, the partial exchange can be a component of that because they may want to take some amount of money out of the exchange for the purpose of their state tax. That's that's a good point. But it's a a cash flow management question for them. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, there's great benefit to what you do and what the value you provide for investors. And so talk a little bit more about the how you contribute to how this 1031 exchange can contribute to somebody's long term wealth building for real estate investors. Yeah. So the the ability to be able to trade properties at an equal level, that's kind of the sort of the, the core of the law is that the the government wanted to didn't want to discourage transacting properties because of the tax gain. They said if uh, if we allow people to defer, they'll be able to trade properties and get something of the level of exactly what they started with. They wouldn't have to go down in level. So that at its base level is the concept of, well, we can be versatile, we can find the exact property we, we want in the exact location. But if you really want to use the law to build wealth, it's about using it in combination with leverage. Yes. So if you start off with your typical uh, investment property with 20% down and an 80% loan, and you hold that just long enough for it to grow 20%, Okay. Um, however long that may be in your particular market. And then at that point, you've actually doubled your equity. The 20% you put in, you've got 20% growth now. Well, that's kind of a key number because 
that's the number where you could now take each of those 20% and now you could buy two properties uh-huh. of the same value uh-huh. with the same leverage. So if you can, instead of letting it just sit there and continuing to, to gain, you take it out through a 1031 exchange, buy two properties using the same 80-20 formula. Now you've got two. Both of those grow 20%. You've got four. And I've got a great a beautiful thing. slide of this in the um, in my presentation that I do. And if you compare this over just four cycles, uh, the the growth factor and the deferred version versus the taxable version is almost double. Your gain, your mm-hmm. portfolio value mm-hmm. are both uh, going to double in just four cycles using that that basic 80-20 awesome. model. And you also taught me another thing that that uh, you can use this deferment. Let's say so let's say somebody in their in their fifties does this as an example, hmm. and they buy several properties over the years, and they keep using the ten thirty one to to defer mm-hmm. their property their their uh, income taxes on that mm-hmm. capital gains taxes. Yep, yep, yep. If they pass, then their heirs would have a stepped up value to the current market, and they would never pay uh, capital gains. Is that, is that correct? Am I right that around is, that? That is correct. It's a sort of a an intersection of two different tax concepts is the 1031 concept allows you to move between properties, uh, but you know during the life when you own a property, you're not paying the, the tax on it. I mean, yeah. property taxes and all the operational sure, things, sure. but you know that gain is just sitting there until it's realized through a sale. So if you can maneuver a portfolio, and a lot of folks a little later in life that have accumulated some value in their portfolio, they want to look at placing that into things that are good cash flow, creating a passive income stream right, right. where they are trying not to actually tap into all that equity that they've um, accumulated or all that asset value, I should say. Um, they want to position it in something that's going to give them good cash flow. And there's lots of different investment choices that can do that. And so they've created an income stream through late in life. And if they get to the end of life without ever having to sell those, mm-hmm. uh, when they pass, that's now an inheritance. And if you look at the, the federal inheritance law, um, there there is a tax if you're above a certain level, and I right. don't know the exact margin. But for the average person, you're going to be below that, and you're going to be able to pass on a portfolio of properties to whoever you leave it to. And when they inherit that, yes, it's at a stepped-up market value basis of the day they inherited it. So the fact that the the, the person that passed would have, if they had sold it prior to death, might have had a fairly large taxable gain. If they don't do that, the the next generation can inherit it. And uh, that gain is, is essentially wiped out. They start fresh. That's powerful. That's very yeah, powerful. It, so, so getting back to real estate versus other types of investments, is there anything else out there that has this sort of IRS benefit, this, this sort of exchange Deferred capital gains if you sell? I don't know any, but there, you, you know, the, the law used to be a little more broad, applying to some components of personal property. Some of that was changed in, in the 2017 tax reform. So okay. now it is limited to just real estate. There's a few specialty things about um, qualified um, uh, investment, uh, qualified improvement district, sorry. Um, some of those can offer some tax deferment, but they're very specific areas that you have to buy in and, okay. and uh, starting businesses. Nothing quite as broad as this. Yeah. I mean, there's been certain measures that were done as like stimulus type 
things that would come around now and then uh, sure. in certain sure. times, but nothing that's been around. But for, for most a long people time. who want to invest money, real estate uh, from this perspective would be the best one. I would I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right, very good. And you you also shared something uh, when I heard you speak about. I think you called it a reverse exchange where you could actually buy property before selling your property. Is that correct? That is correct. The The standard exchange, as we've been talking about, involves selling and then buying. But uh, a lot of times folks are in a situation where they have very specific property that they want to buy and maybe they need to get it purchased prior to the actual sale. So there is a procedure that can accommodate that uh, called a reverse exchange, but it does require working with a qualified intermediary. And what we're really doing is we'll form a company, usually a single member LLC, okay. and we will go purchase that property. We'll step into the, the, the contract and purchase the property for the exchangeor. And what we're doing is we, we don't want them to buy it yet because if they buy it, they can't later exchange for it. Sure. So they will already own it at the time their exchange starts. Got it. Um, so we're we're avoiding that concept. So we're going to hold it for them. It's what they call a parking arrangement. So uh, we do that. And then later they sell their property. Then they come buy this property that we've been holding for them. Okay. Now, that's a very simplistic explanation there. There are some more rules. Uh, that 180-day timeline does come into effect, but it gets reversed. So the, the timeline starts when we buy that property for them. Kind of Now oh, they've got okay. a deadline to get their other property sold so that they can finish this purchase. Okay. So really, they've got about 179 days to sell the other property to get their funding. Oh, it's just reversed. To then buy this property before the 180-day deadline. Awesome. So there's some issues with this, and you, strategically, you need to know what if the other property doesn't sell. Um, you know, can I still buy this property standalone even without selling the other one? That's sort of the safety net of making sure you're capable of doing that. Awesome. But procedurally, there is a way to do it. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Man, I wish we had more time. This, this, this show is too short for me because there's so much more you could probably share with us. Any closing thoughts you want to uh, give the audience? Uh, just uh, the, the wealth building is really the, the thing that I stress with this is whenever you have one of these properties that could be eligible, it's definitely worth considering. You know, a lot of times people really, they start thinking about what they want to do with the money. But uh, mm-hmm. if you could put it back into a property, create yourself an income stream off of that, that's going to be your best long-term use of it is always just keep it invested. Well, this is fantastic, Jason, and I hope the audience has, uh, has learned something. I know I've even learned more today, so um, I appreciate your time, and um, we'll be in touch. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Jason. This has been Mortgage Talk with Mark Hairston. Mark is a mortgage advocate with Texas Mortgage Source, LLC, offering personalized mortgage solutions, fast, customized quotes, great rates, and service with integrity. Contact Mark at markhairston.com markhairston.com. You can call or text Mark at 512-789-6967. That's 512-789-6967. And come back next week for more Mortgage Talk. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.